Pastor Ed Taylor makes this observation. There are people in the church today that live in two worlds. You want to go to church on Sunday and you, you want to be among the believers because that's where your friends are. You want to put that appearance. You want to know that your name is written in the book of life. You want to know that your sins are forgiven. You want your kids to avoid all the difficulties that this sinful life have. You want to have that sense of satisfaction and that sense of forgiveness. And you want to feel as if your guilt is removed. You want to know that you're going to heaven, but then you also want to have fun. And what you interpret as fun. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. It's time for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Glad to have you with us as we dive back into 1 Kings. We left off in chapter 18 at verse 17, if you want to find your place there now. The people of that day were faltering between two opinions. On the one hand, worshiping God, and on the other, bowing at the altars of Baal and Asherah. It's really reminiscent of the countless people today who are trying to live in two worlds, going back and forth between two opinions. Surely they go to church on Sunday, but then party and live like the world Monday through Saturday. If that describes you, let's see how to get back on track. Take your Bibles, open them to 1 Kings chapter 18. King Ahab is being dealt with by the Lord. Graciously, patiently, but firmly. How? By a message delivered by a man. Uh, by a drought. By great suffering. Even for the king, remember last time we saw Ahab going out looking for what? Grass. He's the king. And he's looking for grass with his servant Obadiah to, to feed the animals. So it's affecting him at the highest level, this drought, as God is trying to deal with him. And that's what sin will do. Sin ruins everything. You might want to jot that down if you're taking notes. Sin ruins everything. Sin has a destructive part to it. It's deceptive, but it's destructive. And it's been said, and I believe it to be true, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Sin will always take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And that's exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. It made Nebuchadnezzar into an animal. And he literally acted that way in Daniel chapter 4. You can read it for homework. He walked away from Daniel without changing, without repenting. And the Bible says in Proverbs 16 verse 18 that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So understand something about sin and pride as Ahab is on display here, being dealt with with his idolatry, his sin, and his pride. These six things the Lord hates, the Bible says, Proverbs chapter 6. 
Yes, even seven are an abomination to him. Now, we usually emphasize the last part of it where he hates those that sow seeds of discord because most people that are gossiping and dividing and slanderous don't think it's that big a deal. But the end in chapter 6, verse 17 says that God hates those that sow seeds of discord. But number one on the list, actually, number one on the list of the things that are listed that God hates is a proud look. Then a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood. Sin will bring us down. Pride will take us down every single time. Sometimes sooner, sometimes later, but always. And Nebuchadnezzar becomes as an animal, literally. Ahab is resistant when he's given chance after chance, including another opportunity with Elijah standing before him. What does he say to Elijah? You troubler of Israel. That wasn't true. Elijah wasn't a troubler of Israel, but he was a troubler of Ahab. Because anytime you and I are caught and deceived by sin and pride, the truth is a trouble to us. We intrude, that's how far we are from God, where the very truth of God, the very truth of his word is troubling to us. And there's only one response. Pride goes before a fall, repentance picks a person up. If pride goes before a fall, repentance picks a person up. Now, I want to speak, before we get into the rest of the text here, to us as a church family, especially those that invest a little extra time during the week. It's difficult to invest your time in Bible study, but we're hungry and we're eager. For us as a church, and of course those listening in at at a later time, if if there's pride in the church, and there is, right, amen? And pride goes before a fall, and that means there's going to be people that fall in a church, right? Amen? So pride's in a church, people that fall that are in a church, that's all of us. Then we that haven't fallen or not gripped by, by pride in the moment need to be ready to catch them and help them back up. That's part of our responsibility as the church. Our responsibility as the church is to help serve them and help them get back up. And I know it's hard, and I know it's muddy, and I know, uh, you know, sin twists so much into a situation, and you've got to invest, and you lose sleep, and you've got to spend the time praying, and you've got to spend the time talking, and you've got to spend the time investing, but, but we're not to kick people when they're down. And we're not to gossip about them because sin has overcome them or they've done something stupid. We're not to condemn them, to overwhelm broken hearts. We're to catch them, we're to restore them, and we're to help them. That's your responsibility. It's, it's not just my responsibility, it's our responsibility as the body of Christ. We have that reputation as a church, not Calvary Aurora in particular, but the church in general. We have a reputation that the people that get hurt the most by those in the church are those that need the help of the church the most. And we have a reputation of kicking when we're down. We have a reputation of smearing and condemning. And, and it's not from the Lord. It's not, you know, you, you think of Nebuchadnezzar. You go, oh, what an idiot. What an idiot. He's an animal. No, who's going to help the guy while he's acting like an animal? Or we look at Ahab. Now, again, these guys are just so rebellious and so resistant. But that's a, that's a problem for us, too. We see the more rebellion and the more resistance. It, it, there's, everybody has a line. Every one of you has a line where you just think somebody crosses that line and you just give up on them. 
We go, forget that. That guy's not, I don't have time for that guy. That guy's an idiot. He's, you know, you think about, can you imagine the prayer meetings for a man by the name of Saul? Can you imagine the prayer meetings? God, you know what Saul's doing. He just went into our neighbor's house and ripped off the wife and took it. And he just, would, God, would you just deal with Saul? Take him out. I'm sure some people were praying that. I don't think the prayer meeting for Saul was, oh, Lord, thank you so much for sending Saul into our life. Thou art a mighty, wonderful God for allowing Saul to rip off our neighbors. And, you know, Lord, multiply Saul's, would you? The church just needs more. Do you think that was the prayer meeting? But sometimes that, you know, that, 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 that's our perspective. Uh, you know, some of the, as you're listening, if you guys, when we break off into prayer, there's always a part of the room that's louder than another part of the room. And it seems to be different because there's always a group of people that seem to be praying more intense than someone else. They just come with heavy things. They come with, man, and, and some of you may not, you go, well, you know, I don't really want to pray that loud, Ed, because then everybody's going to think and everybody's going to worry, and you just got to outgrow what people think about you. Nobody's going to know. And even if they do and they look at, you know, you look at them and go, why don't you come and pray loud with us? You're obviously got, you know, why don't you come and pray? Why don't you, we're going to be the intense group over here in the corner. And anybody wants to be intense with the Lord, because you're just in an intense time in your life. And you just, that's just where your prayer meeting is. That's just where you're at. And it's okay. It's okay to be intense in that sense where you're pressing into the things of the Lord. It wasn't some simple prayer. Someone, I though, in those prayer meetings with Saul, someone said, God, if you would save a man like Saul, he could do great things for the church. With that kind of craziness, and that kind of intensity, if you would save a guy like that, somebody was praying for his salvation because he got saved and he was changed and God intervened. And that crazy out of control man did more for the kingdom than he ever did to destroy it. And God redeemed his life. Just like God wants to redeem those that have fallen, those that are going, those that seem to be the most difficult, those, you know, the, the, the ones that, like King Ahab, can you imagine? Somebody needs to be praying for King Ahab because if he would repent, can you imagine what he could do for the kingdom of God? Can you imagine what God could? So now he, he's off, and we need to remember that when someone falls, we need to help, him, we need to help pick them up within the church. We need to be there to look him in the eye like Elijah. Ahab should have been following God, and instead he chose idolatry. And God sent Elijah to look him in the eye and tell him the truth. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And let me just suggest this, and you can pray and process it. Perhaps the reason why people get kicked when they're down, perhaps the reason why uh, people are gossiping and slandering about people that have fallen into sin and mocking and laughing and, oh, they deserved it and I knew it was going to happen or whatever, is because there's a lack of spiritual depth in the church. Because it says you guys that are spiritual, you're the ones to restore. And if you don't find yourself involved in restoring and in helping and in pleading for someone, you just need to ask the Lord. I'm not saying it because I don't know you personally in your personal walk. I don't know all your walks here. But I, I think you should ask the question, God, am I spiritual? Because a spiritual person cares about those that are hurting. 
those that are going through it, and those that have fallen. And there are countless people around us. There are countless people around us who will either come to us when there's a problem or run away from us when there's a problem. And it all depends on how they see themselves and whether they're ready. Now, we can't help everyone, but we can pray, and we can ask the Lord to do that work. And Ahab is far from the Lord. Let's pick up where we left off in verse 17 of chapter 18. It happened when Ahab saw Elijah that he said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I haven't troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you've forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all of Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, and Eat, who eat at Jezebel's table. And so Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And the people answered not a word. And Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but the Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood and put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire under it. Then, verse 24, here's the challenge. Then you call in the name of your gods, notice little g, and I'll call on the name of the Lord, Yahweh. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. What has been an issue in their lives for many years now, God sends Elijah to tell them plainly, you're idolaters and you've been faltering between two opinions. Choose today. Today's the day of choice. You see, Elijah in the power of God, standing before the most powerful man of the nation at the time, he is walking in the power of God speaking to this man and you notice he subtly takes control. Ahab is, is the one in control. He's the one, he's the one that wants Elijah taken care of. But then in verse 19, Elijah turns around. I haven't troubled, in verse, 17, uh, verse 18, I haven't troubled you. You're in sin. So get the people together. It's time for a challenge. And he subtly takes the situation into his own hands. And the first thing he tells them as they're gathering together in verse 21 and if you like to write in your Bible, circle the word falter. How long will you falter between two opinions? And that's the word of the Lord to you today. That's the word of God to you listening. How long will you falter between two opinions? Circle the word falter and write next to it limp or the better way to think of it. I was just going to say totter, but you could write next to it teeter-totter. Back and forth. Back. How long will you go back and forth? How long? That word literally means to limp or to totter. And that the idea is back and forth. It's a word that can speak of a person that's intoxicated. Now with that picture, we can understand a little bit more. You know, a person that's coming under the influence of alcohol, they think they have control, but they really don't. They think that they're okay, but that's their problem. So they think they're okay, so they take the next drink. They think they're okay after six or seven drinks at the bar at night, and they get behind the wheel. They're not okay. And they're either going to find out one of two ways. They're going to be pulled over and put in jail where they belong, or they're going to severely hurt somebody. 
They're not okay. They're faltering. Their mind is being taken over by the substance that they fed themselves. You'll see it when you're driving. Now, of course, they're doing studies today that when you're texting and driving, you actually have the same effects as driving under the influence. So it's not so easy anymore. But in the day, you could be driving down the road and you could just see, you would call 911. The guy in front of me, something's severely wrong with them. And you would think automatically that they're drunk. And, and I guess the longer you drive, like your you're call, you, you actually back up a little bit. You, begin, you call 911 and you stay within eye view of them in case they get hurt until somebody comes and pulls them over. You can see it. You can see it with your own eyes. The effects of someone getting behind the wheel after taking a few drinks. And the picture in your mind is bouncing back and forth, swerving in and out. The idea of limping along. The the idea of being lame and wavering. And under the horrific leadership of Ahab and Jezebel and the compromising agreement of the people... They're sort of drunk spiritually, intoxicated. They're going back and forth, never really making a strong decision. On the one hand, they wanted to worship. And in some cases, they wanted to worship the one true God. But on the other hand, on the other hand, they wanted to bow at the altar of Baal and Asherah, which were the gods of sensuality, the gods of fertility. And it was very sexually perverse in their worship. They wanted to bow before the sun god. Why? Well, there was some pragmatic benefits of worshiping false gods, especially at this time. If you were to worship the one true God, you'd be offensive to Ahab and you would lose your life. So it was easier to compromise because then you wouldn't have to deal with the consequences of the current leadership. If you did something that the king and queen didn't want you to do, then off with your head. So why not just follow along? And besides the the feelings that came with false worship, besides the feelings that came with not standing up for what was right, besides the the false friends that you developed and the people that you can hang out with, and in that day you can imagine the kind of Instagram selfies they would be taking. Look, Look, I'm partying with this guy. Look, I'm partying with this guy. Nobody sends an Instagram picture of being in jail with a bunch of drunks. Look at me. I got busted. I'm an idiot. It's always the fakeness and the falseness of what life might look like in the world and what might life... They were teetering and they were making decisions that were most benefiting themselves. You see, Elijah's saying you've got to make a choice. You've got to take a stand. How long will you falter? How long will you teeter and totter? How long will you go back and forth and back and forth in your relationship with God? That's often at the very root of why things are so difficult in a person's life, in a believer's life. They're wavering and they're faltering and they're compromising. And things get hard when you're a compromiser. There are people in the church today that live in two worlds. You want to go to church on Sunday and you you want to be among the believers because that's where your friends are. You want to put that appearance. You want to know that your name is written in the book of life. 
You want to know that your sins are forgiven. You want your kids to avoid all the difficulties that this sinful life have. You want to have that sense of satisfaction and that sense of forgiveness. And you want to feel as if your guilt is removed. You want to know that you're going to heaven, but then you also want to have fun. And what you interpret is fun. And this world has a lot of things that they interpret as fun. They're all designed to separate you from your money. You understand that. Fun is not free. It's not free financially, and it's not fun spiritually when it's sinful fun defined by the world. Before you know it, you've got a profit. I'm not considering myself a prophet in the day of Elijah, but before you know it, you've got a guy like Ed that says, how long are you going to falter between two opinions? How long are you going to do it? It's not going to end well. It's not going to end well. And the consequences of faltering, you, you may come back to the Lord, but now you're coming back with all kinds of consequences that when you sit down with me in my office, you sit down with me and I, my heart is automatic. I wish I, the first thing I do, I wish I could take the consequences away, but I can't. You asked for them. You requested them. Why? Because you faltered. You keep going back and forth. You go back into the world and you jump into the things of the world. You, you want to participate in the things of the world. You want to be the world. It's misery. It's misery. It's tormenting, and you're back and forth. It's sort of like going into the reservoir, you know, that, that the water, I remember one year we had the baptism there, the water was so cold. I thought they had heaters in the reservoir. <laughs> it was so cold that you just, we stood in there for 15 minutes and we were numb. It was, and then we're shaking and shivering, and it was so cold. And, and, you know, you think of a cold pool, or you think of a cold ocean, or you think of a cold reservoir. There are one of two ways to deal with that. You can either just go in, man, and just do it. Just jump in and get it over with. Just make the decision. And then, you know, you deal with the comp, but at least you're in, and you're like, I chose, I'm going in. Or you can, ooh, doo, doo, ooh, ooh, ooh so cold and now your toes cold and then you little by little and then you're back and then you're cold and before you know it you're like it's worse than just jumping right in and the best way to do it is just jump in make a decision jump in and start splashing everybody that won't <laughs> a lot of people want to get in but they don't want to go too deep a lot of people want to go into the things of God but they don't want to go too deep they, they, want, they, they want a name, but deny the power thereof, the Bible says. They, they want to be entertained. They, they, they desire to feel good, but not be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It reminds me of the man that I heard about in the days of the Civil War. He couldn't decide whether he wanted to fight for the North or for the South. So he compromised by wearing a jacket from the north and a trousers from the south. And he ended up getting shot on both sides. <laughs> and that's what's happening to the compromiser, to the man or woman that tries to live in two worlds. They have too much of the Lord to be happy in the world and too much of the world to be happy in the Lord. And you have to ask yourself, does that describe you? Because here's what God says to you tonight. How long will you falter? between two opinions. 
Well, we've been in the book of 1 Kings today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is our teacher, and he's the pastor of Calvary Aurora. Would you like to hear today's message again? You can listen online at calvaryaurora.org. We'd like to suggest adding a couple of apps to your phone or tablet. They're the Calvary Aurora and Grace FM Colorado apps. This is a great way to study God's Word wherever you go. Do a search for Calvary Aurora, and both apps will pop up. Still looking for a stocking stuffer or a meaningful gift for that special someone in your life? I'd like to suggest our resource of the month, a book by Lee Strobel called The Case for Christ. Taking the approach of a journalist, Lee Strobel recalls his own spiritual journey from an atheist to faith in Jesus. He poses questions like, how reliable is the Bible? Does evidence for Jesus exist outside the Word of God? And is there any reason to believe the resurrection actually happened? We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through your generous support. And as the year comes to an end, this would be a wonderful time to hear from you. It'll serve to help us finish the year strong. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or go online to calvaryaurora.org. You can also write to Abounding Grace, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado, 80013. We'll get back into 1 Kings tomorrow on Abounding Grace as Pastor Ed Taylor continues through this Old Testament book with us. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado. 